I love a place where kids are vital. I, I really do. I, I love that uh, Jeremiah felt comfortable enough to come up to me and share that with me. And, and uh, I thank you for loving on the next generation. It's just, it's just incredible. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a series. Basically, we're calling Resetting Your Compass in a Disoriented World. And our world continues just to be crazy uh, a lot. We know we saw the earthquake hit, hit Haiti um, a few weeks back and just the devastation. That was the last thing that Haiti needs is another earthquake. But uh, Jim keeps us informed with what's going on there that hopefully he or some teams can go down there eventually as, as things clear up. But also... We know that what happened in the Gulf Coast around New Orleans hit um, a few weeks back and just the devastation there. And Jim, Pastor Jim, is putting together a group to go to Laplace, which is just outside of New Orleans. On, they're going to leave on September 22nd, and they will be back September 22nd, so Wednesday. They will be back on Monday. So if you're interested in that trip, you can go on the webpage or you can contact Pastor Jim at the church office. It's going to be clean up. Uh, and so if you'd like to spend uh, an extended weekend a little bit, some of you have some time right now. And so get a hold of Jim and he's putting that team together right now. Uh, so that's just a way that you can, you can go. Jim also informed me. That uh, that if anybody goes, it's a, a no cost. It's all taken care of. So um, our missions team wants to send this this group. So that's fantastic. He just needs bodies. So uh, if you can come, be a part of that. We we last week we got under the surface a little bit on probably what is the nerve that most of us struggle with, which is our time. And uh, does God have a purpose and a will for our time? And today, we're just going to keep jumping on that nerve. We're going to talk about our material resources. Did God actually have a plan for the stuff that he allows us to have, the money, the material possessions that we have? Suppose you were alive during the Civil War, and it was wrapping up. You knew that the Union was going to... Uh, defeat, the Confederates would uh, surrender, but you happen to live in a Confederate state. And the money that you have is Confederate currency. But you know the war is wrapping up. It's not over yet. But you know eventually your Confederate currency isn't going to have the value that uh, it, it should have. So what do you do? Well, you may sit on it. You're just thinking, I'll just hold on to it. Or you can say, I may as well spend it all. It's not going to be worth anything anyway. I may as well spend it all. Or you would figure out a way so that you could exchange it for U.S. currency. So that eventually when the United States all comes back together, you will have the currency that will be used in the United States. But you will hold on to some Confederate currency because you've got to live out the remaining days uh, before the war is over. Now, that is a historical picture of what we as followers of Jesus Christ know 
We know that everything you see is temporary, is what Paul says. We know that the currency we have, uh, it's, it's, it would be a joke, right, to take a $20 bill into heaven or a $50 bill. Here, God, I want to, you know, it's just, it doesn't work that way. It's temporary. And so we know that there is a time coming when, uh, when it's not going to be there anymore. So what do we do? Well, some people think, well, I'm just going to continue to save it, and, uh, but you can't take it with you when you go. Some people will uh, say, I may as well spend it all. If I can't take it with me, I may as well spend it all. We're pretty much doing that now, and uh, that's what we could do. Or we could send it on ahead so that when we get there, we have the currency of heaven, so to speak, that will be there ahead of us. Well, how do we do that? How How do we go about being uh, those kind of stewards and managers that send it on ahead as the Lord told us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to his disciples. And in verse 19, in fact, Jesus talked more about material resources than he did even about faith and forgiveness. So let's look at Matthew six nineteen, and let's see what Jesus had to say. He said this, Do not lay up or store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Underline that. Mark that somehow. That's a key verse in the whole Sermon on the Mount and the Scriptures. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus talked a lot about the material resources. He spoke a lot about how that it would be uh, what would hold us back so often. And he has to attack that in our lives. So I want to talk to you today. I want to give you four things. Uh, this isn't a Financial Peace University course by any stretch. But I want to give you four things that the Scriptures tell us and we observe about material resources and especially money. And how that God has a plan. He has a will for our lives in this area. But are we walking that out or are we fulfilling that? Number one is this, material resources, and especially money in itself, is neutral. It's not morally evil, it's not morally good, it's just neutral. And many people say, yeah, Mark, but, but uh, money is the root of all evil. No, what, what is said, Paul said there, is the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it, to, in other words, do you possess it or does it possess you? The love of money is the root of all evil, but 
But material resources in themselves are not are, are neutral. They're not evil or good. And and sometimes we think, okay, if it's not evil or good, does God really understand what we need here? Does He understand? I want you to know He does understand. In fact, he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, or your body, what you shall wear. Because life's not more than food and, and more than clothing. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and your father cares for them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And do not be anxious about your body, what you shall wear. Consider the lilies of the field. They do not toil or spin, yet I tell you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of the least of these. So if God so cares for the grass of the earth that is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he care for you, O you of little faith? So not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles run after these things. But your Father knows that you have need of them. But you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He said He said that to us. I know that you need these things. The Father knows that you need these things. But do not be anxious, because He will take care of you. You seek first His kingdom. That's what you are to seek. But the question that I run into is not my needs so much, but my wants. Uh, there are five basic needs of life. You ready for this? Five basic needs. Air, water, food, shelter, and sleep. Those are the five basic human needs that you have. But we're thinking, okay, God, I live in Round Rock, Texas. I live in a place where I can't even afford to buy my own house. Now, I mean, this is where we are. And so I'm thinking, God, do you know what housing costs here in Round Rock? Do you know what transportation costs today? Do you know what medical insurance I, I have to have? Do you know my taxes? Do you know my insurance? I, I, I gotta eat groceries. Phone, I gotta have a phone. Clothing that we have to have. These are needs that we have. Father, do you know these needs? And he says, I know, I know your needs. The question is, are you going to let me provide your needs or are they going to possess you? So, number one is that material resources in themselves is neutral. How you handle it, though, is the key. And that brings us to point number two. It's this. God owns it all. We are but managers. God owns it all. He owns it all. Do do this with me right quick. Take a breath. That was even a gift from God. That was your heart's beating. That's a gift from God. He owns it all. We are managers of what He allows us to have. It all belongs to the Father. And He entrusts me with certain things for His purposes. And you remember I've told you before... That basically the will of God is that for His good pleasure, I was created for His good pleasure. And secondly, it's so that my sanctification, so I can grow into Christ's likeness. Because God knows 
that I have the most meaningful life when I'm close to Him. And that's what He desires for me. So, I haven't got to realize that I am a manager. But, here's the question. My need list versus my want list. You know, we live in a day where our culture dictates what's of value. And you're saying, well, I, I have a different mindset. Well, praise God if you have a Christian worldview. But most people do not. And our culture dictates what is important and what's of value. Here's a, here's a thought. Culture determines what's of value. We Pam and I went to Maine several summers ago. And we were, we were there. And, you know, you go to Maine. What's Maine known for? Lobster, right? So, but we learned the story behind what made lobster so valuable is that we were told that lobster used to be a throwaway thing. It's, it's a bottom dweller, scavenger, uh, scavenges off the bottom. You, you don't want to eat that. But Queen Victoria went to Maine and she decided she wanted to eat a lobster and she ate a lobster. And the next thing you know is lobster prices went from throwaway to whatever they are on your menu right now. Expensive. Now, what did that? One person desiring, one person of influence desiring a lobster. And it's that way in our culture today. We, our culture determines what is of value and it, it squeezes it into its mold. But not only does it determine what's of value, it also determines, our culture determines what's stylish. Uh, it Clothes you wear, the car you drive, the tennis shoes that you wear. Now, I thought about this earlier. I thought, if I were to come up here, I was stylish as a teenager, man. I used to wear... Uh, lot thinner pants, but they were bell bottoms on the bottom. I had shoes. I used to be 6'4". I had platform shoes that I would wear. My hair was long, feathered, man parted in the middle, silk shirt, extra button undone, gold chain. Now, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. You're going to think, you're going to think, but... In 1976, I was something, man. But if I were to wear this up there today, you're thinking, that's not stylish. That, that's terrible, Mark. Because our culture decides what is the style. If you'd have told me that these jeans are out of style because they don't have rips and tears in them, I'm thinking, really? But that's the cultural style. Our culture determines what styles are. And, and then our culture determines what we actually need. I mean, Amazon tells you what you need. You're gonna eat, you're gonna eat lunch and watch football today because the NFL has started. Some of you will. You're gonna watch the commercials and they're gonna tell you what you should be eating. They're going to tell you how to make more a life more comfortable for you, what you should be driving, what medicines you should take to feel better about yourself. Everything is to make life more easier for you, and that is what 
they determine for you. The culture does that. But I want you to know that God has given you exactly what you need to, to not only meet your needs, but in the excess to help others. You read 2 Corinthians, how that we've been blessed so that we can bless others. It's for His kingdom work. So God owns it all. We are managers of what He allows us to have. Number three is this. We are to be givers. It, it, it is natural for the child of God to want to be a giver. God set that right off the bat. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His Son knowing that Jesus would be a giver and He would give His life as a ransom for many. It's just the nature of God to give. And if that's His nature, then He's going to transfer that nature to us so that we will automatically be givers. And I know everybody in this room desires to give, but we seem to be in a stranglehold to not give the way we need. I believe that God increases your income not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. If you would understand, uh, this is all we need. This is what we need. God has blessed us, and and this is the way it is. I was reading something this morning, and Americans just don't have a clue. Three billion people on this planet. There's 6.5 to 7 billion people on this planet. Three billion average making $2.50 a day. A day. Three billion people on this planet will make $2.50 a day. In a year, you can understand that. At Christmas, the average American family will spend $1,000 in gifts and ornaments and food for Christmas alone. $2.50 a day, they will make in a year what you and me are going to spend on Christmas this year. That just blows my mind. That blows my mind. And we think, man, I just can't afford to be a giver. God automatically put it inside of you when you became a follower. And giving is the only antidote for materialism and consumerism. Those We worship consumerism and materialism. And giving is the antidote for that. And we all agree. The Scriptures teach it, but you know what in your heart. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And God loves a cheerful giver is what the Scripture says. And we, we agree with that. But we tend to give God the leftovers. And we, uh, we see many Christians today who are feeling this from the Holy Spirit. And yet, they are so grieved because they are bound up in a way that doesn't allow them to give. And we're seeing a lot of Christ followers today that are eat up with guilt because not because of, of some preacher's sermon or something they read in the Scripture. They're eat up with guilt because they're so bound up and the Spirit wants them to be a cheerful giver and they can't do it. 
I see it all the time. And we can say, well, it's exorbitant debt or it's other things just trying to make ends meet. No, let's be honest. It's poor money management and we're not giving the way that God would have us give. Pam and I were very blessed to grow up in homes that were Christian homes. Uh, our parents taught us how to give, not only give financially, but to give your time, your talents, your resources to the kingdom. And when we, what we were taught financially to give. And so when we got married, it was just part of. But what we used to do is, you know, waited till the end of the month, and then we would give, and we, we, we discovered as we grew as disciples, because how you handle your finances is part of discipleship, as we grew, we, we understood that God desires the first fruits, not the leftovers. So we decided, okay, God, we, we read your scriptures. I know it's an Old Testament principle, but we believe in the tithe. We believe 10%. We will start there, God. And, and it's the first thing that comes out. It used to be a check. Now we do it online, just like many of you do. It's a, it's a great thing. To be able to do. So that's our first fruits that we give. And, and we give that to the church. And you're saying, well, Mark, do you need to give your, you have to give your tithe to the church. Well, I'm going to be candid with you. I want to give my money where it is going to make the most impact. I mean, that's what I want to do, don't you? I mean, you, you invest in something. You read the, the, where your investment's going because you want to make the most reward. So I want to I want to give to a place that's going to help the poor, it's going to feed the hungry, it's going to take care of widows and orphans, it's going to disciple people, it is going to believe in missions at home and around the world, it is going to train people, it is going to pay leaders who are going to help disciple others. I, I want to be a part of something like that, and I can be a part of that right here. And that's why we do what we do. And, and so if you want to invest in the kingdom, I, I think you need to be prioritizing your giving to the church. Now, you're, you're thinking, well, Mark, I, I do those things. Hey, listen. It, uh, or your thinking is, I don't think we're doing that here. Don't give. Invest in the kingdom. I believe we're touching the world right here. And that's why Pam and I invest our money right here. But secondly, not only beyond the 10%, we, uh, we look at what God has blessed us with. And I know the older you get, you're, you, you know, we're empty nesters. We, we got grandkids. We're in a little bit different place, uh, as far as that goes. But we pray, uh, God, what else would you have us do? And we've got missionaries. All over the world that we help out, we've got other ministries that we help out. This is what we do. But thirdly, sometimes God uh, pushes you to give to your hurt. You know, give to your hurt. And so some of you have passions that God has given you beyond, and you're going to give to your hurt because you want to see uh, God sacrificial giving, how that makes an impact. Uh, so. We are called to be givers. I mean, it is automatic. The Spirit works inside of us. But exorbitant debt, let's be honest, is killing most of us. You have 
more month than money, and you're thinking, how do I do this? But you, you need to begin somewhere. Now, I'm not going to go into Dave Ramsey, FPU. If you've not taken FPU, Financial Peace University, I would, I would recommend you find it. But first of all is this. You've got to know where your money goes. You've got to know where your money goes. If we're called to be managers, you need to know where it goes. In fact, there are apps that you can actually get where you can keep up with every expenditure that you make. It used to be easy because, you know, you were given an allowance. Pam would give me an allowance. And uh, I would, you know, I would spend it. And I know it was gone when I had no more pennies in my pocket and it was gone. But today it's a little bit different because we live in a cashless society. So we do everything uh, by credit or debit and, and, and the way we do it. And so... You've got to know where your money goes. Secondly, you've got to make a plan and work a plan. If debt is eating you up, you need to make a plan to get out of that. And you need to make a plan and you work a plan. It, 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 and you're saying, well, Mark, once we get out of debt, then I'm going to start giving. No, no, that's, you're never going to get out of debt if that's your mindset. You've got to begin somewhere in your heart of giving because it, it, God created you that way. And then you make your plan and you work your plan. I don't, I don't know what your plan is. Some of you may have a simple plan, a 70-20-10 plan. You, you live off 70%, you save 20%, and you give 10%. Maybe that's what you do. Uh, maybe it's a little bit different, 80-10-10. I, I don't know. But you need to come up with a plan and you need to work that plan. Because we are givers. Last point is this today. We are to live for the day. I'm not talking about this day. I'm talking about we are to live for the day when we stand before our Creator. We are to live for that day. Yes, we have to live for this day because we're alive today, but we need to live for the day we, we don't live for the day very, very much. But most of us are trying to get through a day, but we need to live for this day. Uh, this is not our home. Now, the older you get, you understand that. But this is not our home. Simon Peter said, we're strangers and aliens here. But also, the scripture says we're Christ ambassadors, that we represent him here. But this is not home. We are his ambassadors. And we can actually send it on ahead. When we live for that day, we are willing to step out on faith in this day. And, and we are to live for that day. Pam, um, our daughter Mandy lives in the UK. She's lived there 13 years. And, uh, so we get to go see her. Pam goes a lot more than I do. Uh, we save up our money so she can go over there. And Mandy knows Europe so well, she plans things out for them to do. And uh, she, a few years back, uh, Pam and Mandy uh, did a tour in Italy of the Amalfi coastline. It, you can imagine the beauty of, of uh, the ocean there, and it's just incredibly beautiful. And uh, what they did was, Mandy worked through this company 
that you would hike maybe six miles, eight miles during the day along the coastline. And what they would do is they would take your luggage from the hotel you stayed at previously so that when they got to where they were going, their their baggage, their luggage would already be in their room. So all they're doing is the journey, and then when they get there, it would be in their room. Listen, that to me describes life. We're going to get to the presence of the Lord after this journey of life that we've been through, and our luggage is going to be there already. But my question to us is, are we filling that luggage right now? And I don't think it's going to be about us in heaven. I think it's going to be all about Him. And so we need to realize that we need to live for that day. Because let's be honest, we all have an, we all have an expiration date. We all have one. Football, I, I, I really like football a whole lot. And, and, uh, I, I played it and I enjoyed it. I learned so much stuff from football. I learned about leadership. I learned about uh, what was the difference between an injury and just being, uh, hurt. I mean, hurting. There's a big difference. I learned about, uh, uh, everybody having their part in what they're doing. It, it taught me a whole lot. In fact, it taught me a lot about what I do today. Uh, I, I go put my pads on after the preach. No, uh, it, 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 uh, what it taught me is that in high school you play on Friday night, right? So, uh, and you live for Friday night to play that game. But what happens is, is after the game on Friday night, Saturday you got to work your soreness out. And Sunday, you, you rest. Monday is, is preparation for Friday. Everything's preparation for Friday. And so on Monday, you, you start studying what's going to happen Friday night. You run, you get in shape, you run plays, you lift weights, you do things all week long because it's building up to Friday night. And here's the deal though. You, you may not like Monday. You may not like wind sprints. You may not like lifting weights. You may not like learning and watching film. But you've got to do that step by step all during the week so that when Friday night rolls around, you're ready for Friday night and you're enjoying Friday night. And that's what you're doing. Listen, life, we may not understand the Monday of life. But God is preparing you for a day when you're going to step into His presence. And so right now, you may be in a Monday, and it doesn't feel too good. You feel like you're running uh, spiritual wind sprints. You feel like you're struggling. But Tuesday may be a little tough. But let me tell you, on that day, the Friday night of standing before Jesus, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So we are living for that day. So, money is neutral. We are managers. God owns it all. By His Spirit, when He transforms us, we become givers. And then, lastly, we live for that day. That's His will for us. I have a gift for you today when you leave. You're going to get, at the back door, you're going to get a little gold dot. I'm going to cover up my number here. And what you're going to do on that gold dot 
you're going to put it on your credit cards. Okay? Uh, however many you have. You, you shouldn't have that many. You shouldn't. Uh, and some of you students, you may have debit cards. What you're going to do is you're going to put that dot. This is your God dot. Okay? So every time you pull out your card, you're going to realize that this is God's card. You're spending God's money. And so you're going to see that every time. And hopefully, somebody in a realtor uh, ch- check checkout is going to look at that and say, hey, what's the dot? And you're going to be able to say, well, it reminds me that I'm a manager and God owns it all. And you've just been able to share Jesus with them. Don't put it over your chip. <laughs> but you got room right up there. And uh, so you're going to get as many as you want when you go. There will be somebody at the back to give you your God dots. And it's just a reminder that God owns it all. I, I end with this. In fact, the worship team can go ahead and come up. Yesterday, September 11th, 2021, it's been 20 years since uh, 9-11 when, let's be honest, 9-11 changed the course of our country. Uh, I know that, that none of you students were born, uh, and, and many of you were young, but all of us that were uh, around 20 years ago, we remember, we remember, and we remember exactly what we're doing. It was Tuesday. We were on a staff retreat in Bryan uh, that day. I mean, I remember, and Pam called me and said, hey, have you got the news on? And it didn't at that time. And so we we started watching, and we started heading back. So So we remember... World changed that day. I was just thinking about that, and I thought, you know, God, there may be somebody that's come today. And maybe this message hasn't hit you so solid. Because we're talking about material possessions, but you got to know God has a will for you. But His will, first of all, is that you come to a personal relationship with Him. I would love to think that 9-12-2021 was an earth-shattering, transformative day for you. And I want to pray for you. For some of you, it may mean, God, here I am. Take me, all of me. Take my billful. Take, take my life. Take all of me. And you may be like little Jeremiah that came and said, I committed my life to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, today we have come. And Lord, you, you desire for us to be conformed to your image. And Lord, I, I confess, I wish that I could go back and, and change certain things, maybe especially financially. But Lord, you love me anyway. Your grace is real anyway. And you've given me your Holy Spirit who's, who's wanting to give and give and give. And, 
Lord, I keep squelching him, and, but yet, Lord, I should give in. And Lord, that's what I pray today, is we will be people that are giving in to you first, Lord, and saying, have your way with me. But Lord, I pray for that person in the room who, who uh, has yet to come to a point in their life where they're saying, Jesus, I trust you. Lord, you're fully trustworthy. And so, Father, today I pray for that person. I pray that right now, the best way they know how, they're crying out to you, God, I want to follow you. I know Jesus has forgiven me, and I give my life to you right now, Lord. So, Father, as we enter into this holy moment, please speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand, church. There will be elders and pastors to pray with you. Once again, these steps are a holy altar for you to come. The Lord's Supper is on my right and on the left. You just come as God gives you uh, just the utterance of your heart today. Go be obedient.